So we've gotten requests before over the course of our podcast. This is the first one where I kind of feel like we're being trolled. <laughs> uh, why do you think this is a troll? Yeah, maybe trolled is the wrong word, but I do feel like they're kind of trying to like fan the flames here a little bit because like you have a pretty quick trigger point when it comes to things that are like racially or culturally insensitive Mm -hmm. and you will like vehemently defend them. And I will vehemently argue against anything that is in any way negative towards Elizabeth Shue. (laughs) And I kind of feel like this Uh, one's sort of there to kind of poke in both of us a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, I mean... This movie doesn't star Elizabeth Shue, so... Uh, She's that? exercised I from know. the whole thing. And everyone else is back, so how does that make you feel? Not good. Not good <laughs> at all. Welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. I'm Nolan. And uh, today, by special request, we are discussing The Karate Kid Part 2. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, they've brought back most of the cast, but not the star who's shown the brightest. Elizabeth Shue will not be gracing us with her presence in this one. Oh, what's what's the main actor? What's his name? Uh, Ralph Macchio? Yes, yeah. So he wasn't the brightest star out of all of these films? No, he's a lanky motherfucker, eh? I, like, I watched it for the first time in a while. I was like, God damn, he is way taller and skinnier than I recall. Yeah, I definitely had seen Karate Kid as a kid. Yep. But didn't remember a ton of it. It's been a very long time since I watched it. I thought he was much younger than he was. He was pretty much almost done high school when he started in the first one. Yeah, well, in this one we find out he's finished, apparently. Yeah. So So we transition. But this one starts with a replay of the first. Which is always a bad sign. (laughs) Uh, We'll get into that. Before we do, we should probably say this was an audience request. Longtime listener, Ian Roger. Or is it Roger Ian? I don't know. One more name and the guy'd be a serial killer. He's got two first names, so <laughs> what that's the rule. Got- I'm sure that's how he would love this shout out to go right now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Hey guys, uh we I appreciate uh your podcast. Can you do this for me? And we call him a fucking serial killer. Yeah, way to no, go. Cooper. Uh we appreciate you, Ian. Thanks for the recommendation. And uh as always, we've got it matched up with a beer. This one in particular, just a straight up karate kid reference. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This one's called Wax On. It's a Heffenweisen. On the can itself, it says sand the floor, paint the fence, wax on, wax off. And so what's happened here is this is from Sawdust City Brewing Company. They partnered with their friends at Indie Alehouse. So one of them brewed a wax on beer and the other brewed a wax off beer. And it's technically the same beer, but one of them chose to do it with an open fermentation and the other with a closed fermentation. So ideally, you'd have a can of both and you try them and sort of see if there's any differences between them. So you're saying that we blew it by not getting the other can, basically. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I no, think no. I'm really excited. The reason why we didn't is because we're going to be drinking some Indie Alehouse beers on the podcast in the future. And 100%, yeah. Yeah, we can't, we can't waste two awesome breweries in just one episode. Um, but I'm really excited to drink this. Sada City, uh, I love their beers. I've been drinking their Lone Pine IPA. It was sort of one of the first that I really latched onto. They're in Gravenhurst, Ontario. I think they kind of say like the gateway to the Muskoka. So if you are in cottage o- country, yeah, if you're an Ontario resident, cottage country, this is a place to definitely check out. They have a huge tap room as well as a large space to, to buy their beers. And they have tons of fridges with lots of great stuff. This is where I first had a sour beer that I couldn't stop drinking. Coriolis effect is what it's called. I I think so, yeah. yeah. Sometimes I mispronounce that. We were out somewhere at like an LCBO, which is like where they sell uh, beer and liquor in Canada. Mm -hmm. And you saw cans of this and just flipped out. I bought it all. Yeah. You basically j***ed your pants right there in the store (laughs) and were just like so excited and I had no idea why. And so I think actually this is also the first sour beer that I ever tried because you you were like, you have to try this. Yeah. And since then I have tried all of the sours I could get my hands on. They did an amazing job with that one. They actually brew that one and add different fruits and flavors to it too so they have a whole bunch of different versions of that usually in the spring well uh yeah so that that this is not a sour obviously but still hopefully exciting oh yeah this uh, heaven wise and i'm expecting to be pretty bright and delicious looking forward to it well let's find out yeah why wait any longer So as we already mentioned, uh, this movie starts with footage from the first one, which is always a bad sign in my books. It's Daniel LaRusso on his bike, riding up to the house of Mr. Miyagi, played by Noriyuki Morita, or as his white friends call him, Pat. 
I don't understand why they had to do an air quote pat in. You don't the... understand why that happened? <laughs> it's the eighties. They're uh, like, we can't make people try and pronounce Noriyuki. Are we getting into this already? This is what I mean. There is yeah. the troll job. This is trying to get you fired up. Well, especially this one because we're gonna get into them heading to Japan, and yeah. of course, everyone speaks English. <laughs> it's true. At least they have a character say that, so it's not just like them. oh they, yeah, they try oh, and yeah. explain it away. Yeah, we Black all man. learn English. Yeah, yeah, of course. What? No. <laughs> yeah. So this is the famous chopstick scene in which Daniel-san shows up as mentor, but actually we transition to a sort of mini montage, all clips from the first movie, where we get some backstory on Mr. Miyagi, how his father taught him the crane kick, how he won a Medal of Valor in World War II, and how he beat up a bunch of rich white teenagers and somehow didn't go to jail. That was a, <laughs> that was a plot hole for me in the first movie. Mm, that's fair. They were too embarrassed, though. I don't think they would go to the police. I was watching that with my children. I watched both of these with my kids. And my son pointed out very vociferously the kick that the one kid took to the d- Oh, yeah. Miyagi's not afraid to d- yeah. kick a rich Miyagi kid. Miyagi will sure. go right for the balls. Yep. I don't blame him. This all culminates with the climactic fight scene from the first movie in which Daniel unleashes the crane kick and the movie immediately ends. Seriously, if you haven't seen the original Karate Kid in a while, he wins the fight. Elizabeth Shue runs to kiss him. Johnny says, you're all right, LaRusso, and gives him the trophy. Then we get a freeze frame. <laughs> and we're out. It's like somebody was going to turn off the lights in the studio or they were running out of film or something. This is so sudden. Yeah, we're getting this all replayed at the start of the second one. And I'm getting vibes from Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 here. Where I'm like, this better not be another rehash. <laughs> yeah. 40 minutes of the old movie and then... <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, it's not. Um, but what I was shocked to find out is they basically just turn the lights back on and we are right into that same scene again. Yeah, we dissolve to Daniel-san talking to Mr. Miyagi in the shower. Don't worry, Mr. Miyagi isn't in there with them. He's around the corner and they make sure to show us that he's definitely not looking. So that's good. Daniel says they should make a plan for the future. And Mr. Miyagi says he already has one. Early retirement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Throwing a little joke in here. He's saying that Daniel should uh, probably stop while he's on top. Yeah, quit while you're ahead. Next, we head outside where Daniel is congratulated by everyone except John Kreese, leader of the Cobra Kai dojo there, who pushes his way through the crowd just to give Miyagi the stink eye. We also see him dressing down Johnny Lawrence and smashing his second place trophy. But once he starts smacking Lawrence and some of his other students around, that's when Mr. Miyagi springs into action. It's a parking lot showdown. Man, this guy has an anger issue. Do we get enough backstory to know why this guy's such a prick? I mean, we know he was in the army, and apparently he was in the shit, right? He's an army karate champion. He's got pictures in his dojo of him with, like, guns and stuff. Maybe so he's, he's traumatized. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, he just can't get past it because, I mean, choking out your star pupil because he finished second place seems like a bit of an overreaction. I agree. Maybe they get into more of his backstory in that Cobra Kai show. I haven't watched that, but I hear it's good. That's a good call. I hear a lot of people watching it. Yeah. The reason I didn't say it is because people have had some pretty mixed reviews on it for me. Okay. Yeah, I think think it's kind of, it's one of those things that if you start it, you want to finish because you need to know the story, but the actual show itself is not that good. So it's one Mm. of those kind of like junk food shows that you're going to finish and watch even though it's not awesome, but because you need to know what happens. Don't tell that to longtime listener Ian Roger. That motherfucker's all about the Karate Kid, apparently. Oh, sorry. That's <laughs> no, okay. Listen, I already called him a serial killer. We can't do much worse. Um, Mr. Miyagi ends up showing Crease mercy here, which he would not have done had the roles been reversed, and the facial expressions by Crease here are just incredible. Yeah, he gets the biggest sort of angry and surprise faces on he tries to punch Mr. Miyagi, and Mr. Miyagi deftly dodges, and Crease uh, punches through a car window, messes up Multiple his hand. Multiple times, he's in both hands. Well, and then they spin around, and they do it again on another car, and I laughed my ass off. Yeah. I was like, it worked once, it's happening again. Knuckles all bloody. We don't linger on this scene, though. We cut to six months later, where we see Mr. Miyagi once again working the chopsticks, and he finally catches the fly. So things are going well for him, but they don't seem to be going well for Daniel-san. He pulls up dressed like Jeff Daniels in Dumb and Dumber, car smashed up, complaining about any and everything, but especially Elizabeth Shue, which, how dare he? (laughs) He's got some hilarious prom stories. I was wondering at this point if they asked her to be in the movie and she decided to decline. I know the answer to this question because I feverishly was Googling why isn't Elizabeth Shue in Karate Kid Part 2. Uh, I guess they started filming very soon after the first movie, but she was attending Harvard University at the time. 
not just beauty, also brains. All right. And she had already like resumed her studies and couldn't like leave, I guess, to uh, film it. So, so they decided to shit on her in the script to give an excuse why she wasn't there. Well, apparently, had she come back, they were just going to have her do one scene where she breaks up with him before he goes to Japan. So it kind of you know didn't matter anyway. So no. they they basically say that the prom night was awful. She borrowed his car and messed it all up, and then she left with a football player. Yeah, fell in love with it, which does not fit with her character in the first movie at all. This is a hatchet job. This is bullshit. <laughs> I mean. And you're right. It's very thin in the explanation of why they're no longer together. He also does not seem very cut up based on the relationship that developed between them. And that happened pretty quick and they were pretty intense. Yeah, true story. I, his reaction is so comparatively mild that I didn't think they had actually broken up. I thought it was kind of going through a rough patch. And later on in the movie, I was getting mad at him for possibly cheating on her. Only later did I realize they had actually broken up. I was furious, man. I was cussing oh him out like Tom goodness. Cruise in Cocktail. Like, if this motherfucker does a Tom Cruise on her, I'm going to lose my shit. Oh, Ian knows what he's doing here. And I he's, think it's he's bothering really, you he's way more than it's button. bothering me. This is well, amazing. We haven't gotten yeah. to your thing yet. Just wait. <laughs> Mr. Miyagi's got the solution for Daniel's problems. He makes him build a guest room that he himself will live in, all to avoid spending the summer in Fresno. So it looks like they're going to spend the summer training and learning, but just then a racist mailman shows up to deliver a registered letter all the way from Okinawa. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. <laughs> Come on. No, see, I don't know. This stuff didn't pop out for me. I was glad we got out of America, I guess, um, because of this and headed to Japan. I mean, it's problematic because of some of the stuff that happens in Okinawa, I guess. But I didn't feel like it was that bad compared to, I think, you, what you expected from me. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed right now. I'm not yeah, I know. Yeah. I didn't have a huge uh, hate on here. Not that this was okay, but... We'll see if we can get you later on. All right, you can try. Uh, turns out this letter is bad news about Mr. Miyagi's father. He's very ill, and so Miyagi must journey back to see him. We also get some backstory here about an ex-girlfriend whose parents arranged for her to marry Mr. Miyagi's best friend. Apparently, this was quite the scandal, made worse when Mr. Miyagi tried to break up the arrangement to get her back. His best friend was furious, and we find out that this remains unresolved when Daniel says, Yeah, well, it was 45 years ago. He shouldn't be angry about his honor anymore. Daniel-san, in Okinawa, honor have no time limit. I guess this is the good thing about having a mysterious, stoic character who barely ever talks. Anytime you need a sequel, you can just reveal something, and bam, there's your plot. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly what this is, right? We've got this dark mystery in Mr. Miyagi's backstory that uh, we're going to go explore. We've got some sort of unrequited love. We've got a broken best friendship. And a dying father. Yeah, who is basically a father to both of them. As it turns out, yes. Mm-hmm. Now, you'll never guess who's going to accompany Mr. Miyagi to Japan. It's Daniel-san, who somehow managed to buy an expensive-ass plane ticket in spite of the fact that we know he's poor from the first movie. Yeah, but there must have been a prize money for winning that tournament. That's, no, no, that's no, 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 no. Uh, he says he has a savings account. Apparently, he had it his whole time, which I guess he didn't feel the need to dip into so his mom could have a car that starts, you know? <laughs> I mean, they did say she got a job at a pretty up-and-coming sort of computer technology company, so maybe within a year of being there... Things have started to take off for them. I don't know, man. This seems really dumb to me. Like, you could have easily just had him say he sold the car Mr. Miyagi gave him, right? That would have at least fit with what we know, but whatever. It doesn't matter. We're off to Japan. Who needs college? (laughs) They do make a joke about college. It was a lot less expensive at that point. So the the trip to Japan probably would have cost almost equivalent. Now, not only are we off to Japan, it sounds like we are headed for a fight to the death. As Mr. Miyagi basically says, that's how they'll settle things without a referee. But at this point, I'm betting that the much, much more likely thing is that his former best friend Sato will have a teenage student of his own. <laughs> Why do you think that? I don't know, man. Call me crazy. That's exactly what happens, though. And even <laughs> then, I'm like, no, they're not going to fight. He's going to have a kid with him. There's going to be someone else. Maybe there's going to be a Mr. Miyagi battle as well. We've seen him throw down a few times uh, in the film. Only when Daniel-san's in danger. Mm. Either way, right on cue, when they arrive in Okinawa, Miyagi and Daniel-san are greeted at the airport by a tall, earring-clad kid who says he's there to pick them up but shakes Daniel's hand a little too long and a little too firmly to be as friendly as he's claiming to be. Yeah, no, it's clear when they get there that this is not going to be a friendly trip for the two of them. This is not going to be just about going to see um, his father, his sick father, but there's going to be trouble here still with his old friend Sato. We're at this point in the movie, I don't know, we're about half an hour in, and my kids are complaining about how boring this one is thus far. (laughs) Well, they better settle in, because it does not uh, pick up as we go through here. 
Sure enough, this kid does not take them to Mr. Miyagi's village, but instead to a secluded warehouse where we find out that Sato is this guy's uncle, and he emerges from the shadows to threaten them. Mr. Miyagi says he won't fight his former friend, to which Sato replies, Then you die as you have lived. A coward. Them's fighting words. Yeah. His delivery of lines here is pretty poor. Here it comes. <laughs> Come on. I... This is where we get to Japan, and it's clear that it would have been better if you allowed these actors to actually speak in Japanese. But nobody wants to read subtitles, man. It's Why? The 80s. You think people in the 80s are going to be like, oh, an hour and a half of subtitles, no problem. Yeah, and I guess this was a major like Columbia Pictures piece, right? You're, oh, yeah. you're not going to throw to the theaters at that time. I no. wish they had have. Well, of course you do now through the lens of 2022, but back yeah. then it was like, we'll just put a character in there saying they all speak English. Yes. Boom. Nailed it. <laughs> I don't know. It would have felt a lot less cheesy if they had done that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's the right word. It would have felt much more authentic. There you go. All this fighting is going to come later. First, we find out that the old saying, you can't go home again, is literally true in Mr. Miyagi's case, as a large portion of the area around his village has been turned into a U.S. Army base. Eventually, a taxi drops him off at his old family home, where we meet Mr. Miyagi's ex, Yuki, and her teenage niece, Kumiko, who seems to be making eyes at Daniel-san. And this is the point where I thought to myself, he better not fucking do this to Elizabeth Shue. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't... At this point, I didn't think that Kumiko was... Oh, come on, man. No, she looks at him and they have the deep eye contact, uh, for sure. I don't know. I think you were seeing into this at this point. I think you you were so worried about Elizabeth Shue's honor that you're reading into things that weren't there yet. But was I wrong? No, no. I wasn't wrong. You're, no, not, exactly. you're not yeah. wrong, but... Uh, <laughs> Listen, man. I love Elizabeth Shue. We've been over this. So, it's a pair of emotional reunions for Mr. Miyagi, and we dissolved the next morning where Daniel has a brief conversation with Yuki. Luckily, like everyone else in Okinawa, she speaks English. Yeah. Before he eventually heads to the dojo for more Miyagi backstory. At the time, I found myself wondering if all this family history was going to pay off in the end, and it does not. I mean, they are trying to... Yeah, I guess there's a ton of it. They are trying to get you further connected with Miyagi. Because in the first one, you you sort of appreciate him for how he like supports Daniel and takes him through that process of stopping him from getting bullied and helps teach him responsibility and all of those other things. And here, I think they're just trying for you to connect to that character for his past and reasons. It's about this time in the movie that I'm starting to question the excessive use of pan flute. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, dude, you can't have a movie that takes place in basically any part of Asia, but especially Japan, without pan flute playing a heavy heavy role it's just like a zanfer concert it's just like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just man. the drums and pan flute for like the entire time just the magic of zanfer all over the screen right now yeah we <laughs> there's the occasional 80s ballad but other than that the entire musical score is pan flute pretty much oh there's a great fucking 80s ballad in here that we're going to talk about all later right, good now the next scene throws a little fuel on the sato is a dick fire as we find out that he brought in commercial fishing boats that cleaned out the water near the village, which forced the locals to pivot to vegetable farming. Only, they don't actually own their farms. They rent them from Sato. So he's taking advantage of them to get and stay rich. And this is all just to make us want to see Mr. Miyagi clean his clock. That's all this is. Yeah, you're right. Can I throw back to the sort of history of building there? Sure, man. Mr. Miyagi says that his family sort of has a secret martial arts, which he teaches Danielson. And I think people might care about that a little bit. Do you remember the story he tells to say where that came from or how he got it? Uh, so one relative was in China. Do you know how he got, got to China, though? By accident. He was on a fishing boat. And he and got the, too drunk and then yeah. washed ashore. Yeah. <laughs> so I love that the secret martial arts form that he has was taken from China after getting hammered, falling asleep on a boat and ending up there, which I thought was funny. The other thing I wanted to mention was in the family dojo, Daniel-san does ask him about the sort of banners that are on the wall. There's two of them. One of them says that martial arts are for self-defense, and the other one says... See rule number one. Yes, yeah. exactly, which is nice kind touch. of funny. Do you think they actually say that? Oh, you think Mr. Miyagi's just bullshitting him? No, I'm just wondering if, like, we had someone translate what it said, if it if that was, like, oh completely made up. Or... I can't imagine they, they bothered to invest the time and effort to getting someone act, to actually write out, like, yeah, coherent. Yeah, I know. That's no. hilarious. Like, I would, yeah, I just wonder what it says, because it definitely doesn't say that. <laughs> so we're, yeah. this is the stuff that you wanted me to talk about. It is. And, and, for, uh, yeah, for these sure. are some yeah. of the things I noticed. I mean, they do build this scene, I think, a bit, because it does 
does come back around at the end as part of the like culminating hurt or pain towards Mr. Miyagi. I guess. Well, Miyagi clearly cares about the village. And yes. So this is all kind of part yeah. and parcel. Right on cue, Sato shows up with his tall nephew, once again challenging Mr. Miyagi to a fight and almost popping it off right there. But they get interrupted by his uh, ex-fiance because his dad is dying. And like really dying. Like, like right is, now. These, right are the, now. these are the final yeah. moments of uh, the elder Miyagi's life. This part and the way that they have him die is... You don't like like, the fist bump over his dying corpse? Oh, my goodness. So they all rush off. They all run to go see him. Um, There's kind of a funny scene of them, like, running across this bridge along the path to the home. I did not find it funny, for the record. I found Uh, it, like, very urgent and dramatic. Why did you find it funny? The way they ran was hilarious. Oh, just, like, physically the way they ran. Yeah, physically funny. Yeah, it just, it appeared funny. I didn't think that it was humorous that they had to run to a dying man's bed. Well, I mean, Pat Morita's, like, 70. I mean, I'm sure he's not moving that well. Yeah, the running was not great. And actually, it was his uh, ex-girlfriend who had a, a hilarious run on the way there. But they get there, and both Sato's on one side and Miyagi's on the other, and they're both sad, obviously, because he was kind of like a father to both of them. And what does the father do with his very last breath? I honestly don't remember. Does he need to raise the hand up? He pulls their hands together and makes them hold hands. Yeah. Like, he basically brings them as one. And that, like, instantly when he connects their hands, he croaks. Like, no sound, nothing, just, like, gone. That's what he was waiting for. His last wish was that they would bury this feud and, you know, bring it together. together. Yeah. It just happened so perfectly that I laughed out loud. Like, this isn't the moment I should be laughing at in this movie, clearly, but I was just struggling so hard. But that's just the hallmark of so many movies, right? The massive coincidental timing. Like, you you can't fault them for that. Um, I mean, I can, and I well, will. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Now, Sato says that out of respect for the passing of Miyagi's father, he will give him three days to mourn. He also acts civil during a beautiful funeral ceremony where they float those lanterns out in the water. You know those ones with, like, the candles and, like, a wooden box with paper? I love those things. Those things look so cool. Yeah. I've been watching a lot of movies lately um, that feature, like, Eastern funeral, and those are always really beautiful. It's a really cool thing when they release those lanterns to remember sure. people. Is there a lot of pan flute in the uh, music when those are playing? Or less. What? Less pan flute than in this because you can't get more. That's that's fair. (laughs) Well, with that out of the way, now it's time for the obligatory introspective scene where Mr. Miyagi stares out at the sunset contemplating his next move. Daniel shows up for the pep talk. This is a total cliche right down to the incredibly emotional music. Yeah. So Miyagi is so stoic, right? Like he doesn't express emotion. And then Daniel comes up and gives him just like words that are so wise beyond an 18-year-old's years, right? He talks about his father's death and then him blaming himself. And then he has just like the most meaningful things to say. The student has become the teacher. <laughs> we get yeah, more we, quotes of that as we, we go forward. We absolutely yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? He checks in on Miyagi again the next day with the kind of like, so what are you going to do conversation. Miyagi continues to say that he won't fight his rival. He also drops more knowledge on Daniel-san, tells him the best way to avoid a punch is to not be there, and demonstrates the drum technique for blocking attacks. This is mainly to set up a comedy spot, as Daniel ends up falling into the water, but Mr. Miyagi also tells the story of his first date with Yuki. Apparently, it took place over a load of fresh mackerel, which, is that a euphemism? I don't know. I didn't think that was funny, too, that they decided to have it on a fishing port and yeah. Uh, yeah, celebrate over some fresh fish. Yeah. There's probably only so many places to go in the village. It's not like they have a fucking Denny's. Um, <laughs> Dan- is that your first date spot? Is Denny's your first date spot? It is, isn't it? What's your order? What do you I normally mean, I, get? Yeah. I did get engaged at a Cracker Barrel. So. <laughs> uh, D- Daniel also asks about a counterpunch in the drum technique. So I guess this is going to be this movie's version of the crane kick. And then we see another example of what a dick Sato is, as we learn he is cheating the vegetable farmers by messing with the weight of their crops to pay them less. This is shameless, but it is working. I cannot wait for this guy to get his ass kicked. They are really not creating any gray characters in this movie. Oh, no, it's black and white all day. (laughs) They're, They're making sure you know how big a villain Sato is and how good a guy Miyagi is. And he is a good guy. After an emotional scene between him and Yuki where they contemplate the life that could have been, it's time for Daniel-san and Kamiko to spend a little time together. She notices him working on the drum technique and decides to show him some dance moves. 
Much to my chagrin, it seems like some sparks are flying. But luckily, Sato's nephew shows up to taunt Daniel-san and punch him in the stomach. Yes. He's the real hero of this movie. <laughs> that guy's the biggest dick in the movie. He's, He's defending Elizabeth. She's yeah. a goddamn is hero. Is that what it is? Yeah. That's what it is. You still think that at the end of this movie? No. Yeah. I kind of already suspected this, but they are just running back the first movie here. This guy is Asian Johnny Lawrence, Sato mm. is Asian Kreese, Kamiko is Asian Elizabeth Shue, and they are hitting all the same beats. I mean, when you have a successful formula, you're going to see if you can run it again, right? And they do. This is yeah. just the Beetlejuice goes Hawaiian of fucking uh, Karate Kid <laughs> movies. It's the thing where you just take the same thing and put it at different locations so it seems new. Yeah, that uh, is something, and it probably worked for making money. Did this make a bunch it of money? It made some money. It, did not, yeah. it was not a failure by any stretch of the yeah. imagination, at least not financially. The next day, Miyagi encourages Daniel-san to go sightseeing with Kamiko, so if he's looking for his knife later, he can find it in Elizabeth's shoe's back. <laughs> I'm not letting this go. I'm not letting this go. What are you talking about? She was written out because she's banging some high school football That's player. Such, they did her dirty in this. this Despite her not being in this movie. She should be in this movie. Whatever. Yeah. Um, how did you feel about Kamiko? I liked her. Yeah. <laughs> so then you should be able to get over this. <laughs> Seems like a sweet girl. Yeah. Uh, the two of them go for a run next to the ocean to the sweet sounds of Glory of Love by Peter Cetera. And clearly these two are falling for each other. Not only that, it turns out there's a big dance tonight, so that's convenient. Yeah, and they get invited. She asks him if he likes dancing, and he's not turning down this opportunity to show her his moves. No, man, he's got to move on from losing the love of his life. All right. They find this out in town where they also witness Sato's nephew doing karate through a dojo window, so exactly like the first movie, and then stumble upon a bar where people are gambling on whether or not guys can break sheets of ice with their bare hands. Right then, Sato's nephew shows up to challenge him. Daniel-san knows that the best way to avoid breaking your hand on ice is to not be there, but Sato's nephew isn't having it. Daniel assumes that all he has to do is break the three sheets of ice that are set up, but the nephew has the other ideas. He wants him to break all six sheets. That's as many as that ice-holding contraption can hold. Yes, and he's worried because a much stronger man tried to do it and only broke two of them, so he's not sure that he can do this. Ah, but as Daniel points out, true strength comes from here, pointing to his like heart or mind or something, and not from here, pointing to his biceps. Yeah, he knows. He's been taught this lesson, right? It's who's smartest. It's... Not who is strongest. Still, this seems like an impossible task. But just then, Mr. Miyagi shows up with Yuki to give him the courage to do it. While Sato also shows up to place a substantial bet on his nephew. So I guess everybody's out today. What a coincidence. They're all just showing up here. It at this all point. just showed up at the right time in the right place. There's a lot of that in this movie, huh? <laughs> Literally every main character happened to be with an earshot of this bar. Now, I mean, you said it was a small place yourself. So this seems logistically possible. I mean, I guess. Come on, <laughs> fuck off with that. Don't be silly. I just like making you uh, know. admit it. You know. Anyway, you'll never believe it, but Daniel managed to smash all six sheets of ice with relative ease, so it looks like his savings account is back up and running. Yeah, he makes a lot of money here. Miyagi had thrown down $600 on him to do it all, and he'd gotten three to one odds, so pretty good cash back here. 18 hundo, no problem. Yeah, he hands it to Daniel, actually. Daniel asks him what he's going to do with all those winnings, and he says... College. College, and then he says... Chinese dinner. <laughs> Wait, what? Is yeah. that true? Yeah, and then they take some. So I don't remember that at all. Yeah, most of it's for college, and then the rest are going to go get a, a sweet, sweet dinner. Yeah, I mean, you got to celebrate, right? Yeah, they are. This is all far from over, though, as the next day, Sato's nephew calls out Miyagi. I guess the three days is up, and it's time to fight. They smash up his garden to encourage him, and this at least succeeds in getting Miyagi to pay Sato a visit, but the only action in this scene is Sato repeatedly chopping a giant piece of wood. Yeah, and being unable to break it. Yeah. Yeah, you just see him smash his hand over and over again. I'm starting to wonder if he's trying to break it or if he's just trying to toughen his hand. Could be either one, but don't worry. If it's action you're looking for, there's going to be some of that dance that Kamiko and Daniel got invited to, which apparently is taking place in 1955. Yeah, I laughed Seriously, really hard. Yeah. yeah, I kept waiting for Marty McFly to walk by. They even play Earth Angel. I had to explain this to my kid. Because she was confused about why the clothing and they were dancing like that when the characters weren't like that in the 80s. And my only understanding is that this kind of celebration of the 50s in places that are not America, especially places that would have had American soldiers visit them at times, was really, really common. Like a celebration of older times in America. I mean, there is certainly in Japan kind of a reverential uh, thing for certain periods of 
Uh, and it usually is, yeah, American culture. So that does make sense. Either way, like, I was just like, this is fucking Back to the Future. Like, we're in Back to the Future. It was funny. They were wearing the same kind of dresses and shirts and dances. Oh, yeah, yeah, man. yeah. This is where we finally get a showdown between daniel San and the nephew as the latter interrupts Daniel being like, Elizabeth who? To demand his money back. Daniel gets the drop on him, and he and Kamiko race off into the night. Yeah, this was not looking good. They steal the money from him, the money that they'd won earlier, and they threaten to pretty much rape Kaneko. Yeah, these guys are not good dudes. And so they've got her held, and Daniel's on the ground. He sort of fights back by smoking the guy in the d***. Again, he learned from the best. Mr. Miyagi. Not afraid to d*** kick. Miyagi had taught him, actually, even reminded him earlier in the day. Daniel-san, go for d***. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He absolutely taught him that lesson, which was amazing. Uh, They run out to their car and and escape, thankfully. They do. Later on, though, Daniel's about to go to sleep when Sato shows up at the Miyagi family home yelling for Mr. Miyagi. He isn't home, so Sato has his nephew and his crew smash up the dojo and rough up Daniel-san. And just like in the first movie, it's time for Mr. Miyagi to appear and beat up some miners. Once again, he kicks one of them in the d- This is just running it all back. They're running it all back. <laughs> I mean, it was necessary for him to step in here again. He's protecting Daniel's son, right? They had smashed up his home and uh, his shrine and the picture of his drunken grandfather who had brought back the mysterious karate. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, this was necessary. I'm finding it hilarious that Daniel keeps getting his ass kicked everywhere, right? It just, why is he this, like, kind of polite, quiet kid who's trying to avoid everything, just constantly finding himself in positions where he's getting beat up by evil characters? I, it just carries over from the first movie, that's it. Yeah, no, in I know. In the first but movie, he was that yeah. way, and so they have to make it again this way. They're just but I just don't understand why it happens in both movies. It just seems because so Because they're running it back, man. There's yeah. nothing original about this at all. No, I agree. Now, in spite of the blatant disrespect to his family's property, Mr. Miyagi is still planning on going home the next day to America, but he doesn't want to leave Yuki, and it sure seems like Daniel doesn't want to leave Kamiko, so they both invite them to come back to America. Kamiko isn't sure about leaving her home, but Daniel drops some of his own Miyagi-like wisdom on her. Home is where you hang your hat. <laughs> I laughed out loud. I don't know about that yeah, one. Yeah. I laughed out loud. I We've all heard that saying, but I thought that was not the persuasive technique I would have used at that moment. You know who hasn't heard that saying? A teenage Japanese girl. No, absolutely. No. <laughs> She's like, what the fuck are you talking yeah, about? Yeah. She didn't even ask him, which no. I was actually mad about because she questions him earlier in the movie on some of the sayings he uses. Yeah. And the fact that she just accepted that one, I was like, What? Uh, they're about to kiss here when suddenly a bulldozer shows up, compliments of Sato. Turns out if Miyagi won't fight him, he's going to bulldoze the entire village. Mr. Miyagi finally relents, but on one condition, win or lose, the titles to all the land goes back to the people of the village. Sato agrees before issuing one final threat, and at this point, I'm legitimately worried. Not for the village, but as to whether or not Daniel-san is going to fight the nephew. He fucking definitely is, right? Because if this whole thing is just the Miyagi story, it ends with two 65-year-olds slowly kicking each other and trying not to fall over. (laughs) Let's just say I'll be underwhelmed. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I was kind of hoping it would. That's what you want. Yeah, I wanted it to be the two of them. I wanted Danielson to to sort of learn from this in without having to fight. I didn't want him to to have to go through that, but uh, it's not how it turns out. Thank goodness. No, this is all getting too real for Danielson. So he takes a walk down Introspective Boulevard, where he eventually stumbles upon Kamiko. He kneels down across from her and watches with a dumbfounded look on his face as she uses a handkerchief to off a small wooden spoon. I'm I'm kidding, but the, no, no, I'm kidding. But there are a lot of vaguely erotic hand movements here as she ritualistically prepares some kind of tea or broth for him to drink yeah. before letting her hair down and making out with him. Yeah, we they introduced this concept earlier, right? So for the viewer who isn't aware of what it was, food based foreplay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the tea ritual was a way for people to sort of express their love for each other. Dude, she's running her hands up and down. Some oh, very yeah. phallic objects. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I noted very similarly how erotically <laughs> she was preparing that tea for him. She had done it in the same uh, sort of abandoned fishing area. I guess she knew he was going to show up or had mentioned for him to come. They didn't really explain that to us. Another convenient coincidence. Yeah, he just kind of shows up here. Um, Have you ever had an erotic tea ceremony? I think I would enjoy one. (laughs) Again, I cannot comment. Uh, 
I mean, if you like tea. I love tea. And well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you haven't had it until you've had it prepared in this fashion. Um, um, so they're having this romantic tea ceremony. They're making out. And then all of a sudden, a hurricane shows up. Yeah, at that exact moment. So Daniel Sun has to tuck his boner and retreat to the village. This storm. Good thing, he had, uh, <laughs> good thing he had his black belt on so he could tie it up tight. <laughs> and he does. This storm is immediate and it is violent, sending debris flying all over the place and collapsing the building that Sato is in. He ends up getting pinned underneath a giant beam, but Mr. Miyagi, despite their bad blood, rushes over to free his former friend. And how does Sato react to this display of bravery and compassion? By aggressively taunting Mr. Miyagi and letting him know that he does not forgive him. You coward, you're going to kill me now when I can't fight back. Yeah, I don't think that's what's happening here. Yeah. Like, good lord. They're clearly trying to help him, and yet he yeah. still taunts. His nephew runs out of this building claiming he's dead, not trying to offer any help, of course. Daniel and Mr. Miyagi try to lift this heavy beam off him, and it's not going well. It's not working. No, this kills me, though. Uh, how does Miyagi end up breaking the beam? So we had that shot earlier of Sato, like, sitting there trying to crack this huge beam or log in half with his hand. And it's clear that he's worked on it for years and was incapable of doing it. It's like Miyagi with the chopsticks. Yes, exactly. And when Miyagi goes and visits, he even comments on it. You see him run his hand over it. You know there's going to be a callback, and here we are. He takes one big swing of his hand and chops that huge house beam right in half. Yeah, but he chops it right in the part that's on top of Sato's chest. Like, it's yes. right above his heart. That seems counterproductive to me. Well, except for it does remove the giant beam that's pinning him down. He must have known, being such a skilled martial artist, that all of the force would be in the beam and not on that person's chest. You're doing a lot of apologizing here for this fucking movie right now. I just want you to know that. Well, I mean, somebody has to stick up for them. It's not their fault Elizabeth Shue couldn't be in it. <laughs> uh, either way, this works, and they're about to make it back to cover when they spot a young girl who, for some reason, is trapped at the top of, like, a telephone pole. Now, how did she get up there? No, no, she was the girl ringing the bell to warn everybody about the hurricane. Oh, there's actually a very coherent reason why she was up there. Yes. Oh. What's not coherent is why she doesn't climb down after everyone has run to safety. Yeah, okay, So good. my daughter was super concerned about her. So she's watching the movie with me, and she's just really... Why, where's the girl from the bell? Why isn't she getting down? They're all making it back to safety. And I assured her that we just didn't see her come down, that she would have come down and gone to the shelter with everyone. So you're a liar. Yes. Yeah, this movie made you a liar. <laughs> and then very quickly we find out that for some reason she's still hanging on to a very tall ladder, like where the bell is. I have two questions. One, why do they assign a small child to this job? No idea. Maybe she can climb faster? I guess. And two, like, there's got to be some point in this where her instructions are to go to the ground and get to safety. Ring the bell and then climb down. Yeah. That's the part that she missed. Yeah, yeah. she missed the second part. So she's in trouble, um, but who's going to rush to her rescue? Luckily, uh, Daniel-san is there. He tells Mr. Miyagi to get Sato to safety while he tries to rescue the girl. Sato tells his nephew to help, but it turns out that he's the real coward here and slinks away daniel saves the girl and gets her back to safety with an assist from sato of all people who promptly disowns his nephew this gets really dicey when they're atop of the ladder the ladder breaks in half and then a live wire starts touching this metal bell and but daniel like bats it away he uses his belt he takes off his belt and flings his leather belt around it to wrap it away it was just like a magical move i mean this man can do anything right the hardest thing he had, though, was, like, getting her from, like, across a street. He manages to carry her all the <laughs> yeah. way down this, like, ridiculous ladder, and yet he can't get her across the street, and so Sato comes out to help. Yes, they disown the nephew. We now see that nephew is the worst character in this movie. Despite heroically defending Elizabeth Shue earlier, I'm now yeah. inclined to agree with you. Yeah. The next day, Sato has done a complete 180. He brings trucks to help rebuild the village and hands over the land titles, no questions asked. Not only that, he and Miyagi are once again the best of friends. And after Daniel asks, he even agrees to hold their ceremonial dance celebration in the castle, which there's a castle and he, like, owns it? Did they mention this before? I'm like, They not... do. Okay. They do mention it before. It's actually the thing that Kaneko takes him to visit. So, you know when they had that, like, fantastic 80s ballad? On that, like, rock ledge yes. near the beach? With that the, was yeah. when they were racing to the old okay. historical castle. And but she it's did... owned by, it's yeah, owned by Sato. She mentions okay. it's owned by Sato then. And she also says that he has been selling the sort of antiques to museums that were in it. 
Um, but I guess now it's going to become part of the community again. This was like a very important symbolic place to the people who live there. And I guess he's returning it now is the big okay. deal. I guess I was so blinded uh, with rage earlier on that date scene that I blocked out all that. <laughs> yeah, you missed all that guy. important information. Missed there. It all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway. Were you just picturing Elizabeth Shue there instead at, at all those moments? I was just, just quietly like, seething on my couch. Oh, my furious. goodness. Um, so that's where we're heading next, I guess, as Daniel-san, looking like John Travolta's younger kung fu-loving brother, performs a dance with the locals before handing the stage over to Kamiko, who dazzles everyone with the seductive fan dance. At least she starts to, before Sato's nephew slides down a string of lights with a knife, pirate-style, and grabs her. Yeah, this is interesting. Do you know what that dance is called she's doing? I do not. It's called the bone dance. Stop it. <laughs> that can't be true. I think it is. Where did you get this information from? In the movie. No fucking way. Yeah. Come on. Uh, I just thought I would share that with you. That's not correct. <laughs> I can't be correct. So she... <laughs> that's not, this is not right. So, yeah, we get that sort of pirate down the light standard. We Do we even know this character's name? The I don't know it. I don't know it at all. Yeah, I, I, the nephew. I tried to listen, but I, it's just Sato's evil nephew. And he grabs Kaneko. Yeah, he wants his honor back. And to get it, he's going to beat Daniel-san one-on-one. Daniel's up for it right away, but Mr. Miyagi warns him. Daniel-san, it's not tournament. It's for real. Miyagi is Japanese, I assume. I hope The actual actor? Yeah. No? I don't, I don't want to bet my life on it. Yeah. They didn't make him say the lines in these ways, did they? Like, he can't speak perfectly fluent English or can he and they wrote them this way again I don't want to speculate uh they probably wrote it did they, they might have written oh. it that way yeah that sucks here it is yeah <laughs> it took a while but we got here yeah I know I know I should have been all over this at the start but it is now dug at, in deep in at the start of Karate Kid part one yes yeah. exactly it's so problematic but uh we'll, we'll keep going because we're almost to the end there you go this is in fact going to be a fight to the death because the nephew starts off with a cheap shot and then smacks Kamiko when she tries to interfere him and Daniel go back and forth for a minute until Daniel decides to unleash the awesome power of the crane kick which fails miserably yeah it gets blocked oh yeah he's getting thoroughly pummeled when suddenly Mr. Miyagi and everyone else in the crowd reminds him of the other move he learned, the drum technique. Everyone just got a fucking drum and they start banging it. Yeah, we either they're drumming or they're clapping to that rhythm to remind him of that. What is basically like a turn. That technique might also involve just beating the other guy like a drum because that's what Daniel does, just fucking pummeling him back and forth till he's on his knees. He slaps the shit out of this guy. Yeah, and this is out of nowhere because Daniel is getting like pretty badly beaten. Yeah, he is down. He's thrown some good shots the other way. Like neither of them are untouched, but he is definitely taking the worst of it. And all of a sudden he catches the evil nephew out of nowhere with these sort of drum punches. And you're right. He must do it like 10, 12, 15 times until this guy goes down. And then he gets him on the ground and has the opportunity to take him out. Yeah, but he gives him the choice. He says... Live or die, man. Die. But Daniel doesn't play that way, so instead he honks the guy's nose, hugs Kamiko, and the crowd goes wild. And just like the first movie, we are immediately out of there. No freeze frame this time, though. Just Mr. Miyagi nodding. Then we fade out to the credits, and Peter Cetera is going to bring us home. <laughs> we do get a big black screen with the end on it. Um, but yes, another very abrupt ending. The nose honk was a throwback to the start of the movie when Miyagi does this to the leader of the Cobra Kai, right? Yeah, he does it to Kreese. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very sudden. I wonder if 3 starts exactly where we left off on two i hope it does like i hope we are we we fade up from black and we are right there still at the same sort of ceremony or dance that they're having there you know what if i've seen three i've forgotten it so i can't tell you but uh you watch it later and let me know i have no interest in watching it <laughs> my kids are pretty deep they they want to know how this whole story ends so it'll probably happen i'll probably have to watch cobra kai as well there you go well uh, according to longtime listener ian roger very enjoyable show. So hopefully you'll enjoy it. If not, you can talk to him. I don't know about this, man. This, like, there's so much in here that is either just a shameless ripoff of the first movie or just, like, too convenient for words. Like, that storm <laughs> happening right then. They're going to have this fucking showdown, and all of a sudden there's a storm. So there you go. No Miyagi Sato fight. Like, I was sad that that didn't happen. Clearly, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was going to happen. I mean, 
it's insane that Sato's house falls on him and then Miyagi saves him and that stops all of the hate that has been going on for four decades. Well, you save a guy's life, man. I mean, you owe him your life at that point. You're not going to fucking fight the guy still. <sighs> I don't know. Is Kimiko going to America or what do you think? Yeah. Yeah? Well, she wants to dance, man, and there's no dance. She can't learn ballet in uh, Okinawa. We learned that. They're just pissing on the grave of this Danielson-Elizabeth Shue relationship. It's not cool. <laughs> so so then uh, Elizabeth Shue from the first one or Kaneko in this one? Elizabeth Shue. All right, are you kidding me? What, what on earth? Yeah, just always, huh? Here's a real showdown for you. What's a better song? Glory of Love from this one or You're the Best Around from the first Karate Kid? Mm. Glory of Love is pretty fucking good. Yeah, no, I think I lean harder on Glory of Love. You're I, a ballad guy. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely a ballad guy from the 80s. I mean, some of the pump-up songs are great, but uh, yeah, this one is is it for me. I love this. When I think Karate Kid, I think you're the best around. Yes, that's But if fair. I was going to listen to one of these like in my own personal time, mm-hmm. it would probably be Glory of yeah, Love. Yeah, if so. I'm starting a playlist, like I'm picking one that I want to hear a whole bunch of songs similar, it's Glory of Love. <laughs> Unless I'm like cleaning the house or something. Yeah. Then you got to be the best around. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. hear you. Yeah. If I'm yeah. cleaning the house, it's the best around play different. mix. But it- <laughs> different songs for different reasons. Yeah. Uh, well, we've waited on uh, Daniel's love interest. We've waited in on the songs featured in these movies. It's probably time to wait on the movies themselves. Let's get to our ratings. The way we always do this, rate it on a scale of 1 to 10. We do it twice. 1 to 10 for how bad it is. 1 to 10 for how enjoyable. And the goal is to find movies that are 10 out of 10 on each scale, or as we call it, the Crit Crit 20. 20. And for me, this movie is not going to get us there. While I did think that it was extremely long, uh, which is so weird because it's not as long as the first one, but it feels longer. The pacing is just fucking slow. It's a complete rehash of the first movie just placed in Japan instead of America. But at the same time, like anytime you follow the same formula as a successful movie, it's going to be somewhat successful. And I think it kind of was. So I only have this as an eight bad. I think that's fair. I think the plot is, like you said, sort of just a ripoff from the first one. Things happen way too conveniently. There's some really bad acting at points too. A lot of the faces and things that happen. The fact that they all speak English and there's no Japanese in Japan. <laughs> some yeah. of that problematic stuff is there. I didn't have the same issue with the Elizabeth Shuness uh, as you, but that's okay. I had it as a seven bad. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that was in any way colored by the fact that you watched it with your kids? Probably. Like your kids yeah. enjoying it, did that make it see you seem like, oh, they are hitting a target audience? Yeah, first? so it was slow for them, especially compared to the first one. I think they were more connected in, but being with the target audience, yeah, I think it definitely affected it for me them sitting through it right not leaving or not quitting on it and staying with it and generally sort of caring about what was going to happen to mr miyagi and daniel-san i think that yeah that kept me in there well good luck on number three i do not know if be able to sit through that one i have no idea i don't yeah. even know what happens where where it happens by uh, all accounts it's worse than this one so right. we'll see what their limits are how enjoyable did you find it on a scale of one to ten this is it kind of fits back to some of the points we had for bad right it's slow the bad guys, I, I hated the motivation was that like weird broken love revenge for 40 years. Uh, I struggled with that. I didn't like the nephew character. He didn't seem... It's not a lot to him. No. Not a lot to him. No. It just seems so dumb, right? Like it, it was so, so dumb, the reasons that a lot of this was happening for. So I didn't enjoy that. Some of the stuff didn't make sense. It was very formulaic like the first one, but... Overall, it followed through. It hit many of the notes that I wanted. I, I had it as a 7, too. This was very, like, right in the same vein for me. Not not super high on our scale, not super low. Okay, so we're we're real close, then. I have this as a 6. I kind of, like, inherently compared it to the first one, and it was just, like, if I was ever going to watch either of these again, I would watch the first one. I wouldn't watch this one. And that, to me, like, signifies a little bit of the lack of enjoyment. It is just the same story, just done, in my opinion, like less good, just in a different location. Mm. The absence of Elizabeth Shue, the fact that they did this to her character, I just couldn't get over it. I was already like, I was already operating from like this yeah. movie was in the there was whole a before it even started. There was yes, a depth. I kind of prefer this location to the like. Really, I don't care about this weird California town. That come on, man. Everyone you, wants to do martial uh, arts. Social status: rich kids against poor kids. No, yeah. nothing there. Yeah, I mean, Here's this that guy is trying to thing. prove his worth against this uh, elitist. Like yeah. an Aryan upper class. I just, it seems so weird to me that that Valley Town is so obsessed with karate. 
It's <laughs> it, like it doesn't make sense to me, right? Because Crease set up there, man. He's a fucking karate master. Yeah. He makes them want it. I mean, there was not enough pan flute in the first one, right? Like you're not here. Wait, you're not here <laughs> trying to beat the case. Second was better than the first one. That's insane. No, no. Okay, I, I not say. not at all. I just like the setting of the no. second. For me, the fact that this one felt longer despite being shorter than yes. the first one is very damning for me. Fair. Less enjoyable. This is probably lands on like the old uh, the old Nolan. Like, will I watch this again? It's probably a no for me. Barring any like children I may one day have being like, can we watch the second one? Although at that point I might be like, fucking have fun. I'll see you later. <laughs> yeah. When the third one comes on, I might be, uh, I'll be in the room, but I might be uh, on my phone or busy doing something else. There you go. Yeah. This beer though. Yeah. Very tasty. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I wish I had a follow up. It was one of those that was so light and fresh that I would have definitely crushed a bunch of these. I was through it quick and I was kind of looking around and being like, what else do I have that's kind of like this? Yeah. Yeah, so no, uh, I think they did a really good job with this. I'm not sure if this one was the fermented in the open or the closed. Uh, I'd be curious to know. Yeah, I don't know the difference. So it is oh, really... I guess on. Okay. If it's wax on, I assume it was fermented in a closed lid and wax off would be the other one. That's oh, like my lid assumption. on, lid off? Yes, okay. I think so. And the on tends to be more what we would normally drink and have. We're off that tends to use wild yeast so be a like more funky maybe things, yeah usually yeah. they tend to be more funky so i bet you i would be pretty sold on the the off but i had really enjoyed the on as well it was a nice clean smooth drink plowed through it no problem so yeah good stuff there sawdust city and i guess indie alehouse on the collab here good stuff yeah next week saint patrick's day is next week and so we thought it would be appropriate to cover a movie with an irish theme and we're going into the 2000s for this one. Next week, we are going to be watching the sequel to Boondock Saints. It's Boondock Saints 2, All Saints Day. <laughs> what a terrible title. It's not great. What a terrible title. Um, Before you mentioned this to me, I didn't even realize they made a sequel. Yeah. Um, So I'm excited to watch this. I was a huge fan of the first one. Huge, it was a big cult movie. Yes. I'm actually not a fan of the first one. I think it's kind of overrated, but I think that's just because back when it came out, everyone was hyping up how amazing it was. And so when I watched it, it just did not live the expectations. But I think it's going to be interesting because I think the fact that you didn't enjoy the first one and the fact that I did is going to heavily impact our opinions on that movie when we watch it. So I'm looking forward to it. Could be. Either way, it'll be an action-packed way to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. So that should be fun. If you have not already, please make sure you are following us on social media at the BMB podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, we love to hear from you on there. Um, if you have any suggestions for beers or movies or combinations of the two, please send them to the DMs of those uh, social media posts or to an email at the BMB podcast at gmail.com. That's what Ian Roger did. And today we are delivering his request, the Thank Karate you, Kid Ian. Part 2. Yeah, thanks, Ian. That was a good one. Yeah, it was fun. I, 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 yeah, I, my, I shouldn't shit on it. My right. kids, my kids loved watching one and two. So if anything, Ian, it brought my family together. I appreciate you. For You've that. brought joy yeah. to Noel's family, Ian. Yeah. Good for you. That's gonna do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Cooper. I'm Nolan, and we'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Keep it Miyagi. Oh, nice. The price of honor, the glory of friendship, and the way you must fight when only the winner survives. <laughs>